This message was recorded during a Sunday celebration service at Cornerstone Church of Knoxville. Psalm 107. This is the last Sunday in our summer psalm series where the goal has been to hit different types of psalms. And we've learned over the last several weeks and months that the psalms really do give us a song for every season of the soul. Whether we are rejoicing or mourning, whether we're broken or happy, confused, doubting, whether we are desperate, questioning, celebrating, Psalms gives us words for our experiences and our emotions. And the good thing is they're God-centered and they're true. So everything we find in the Psalms gives us an expression for all the things that we experience as human beings. And we're going to finish our psalm series this morning hitting one of the major themes of the psalms, giving thanks to God for His steadfast love for us. And so the psalm we're studying this morning, 107, is a, it's a fairly long psalm. It's about 43. It is 43 verses. And we're going to read a lengthy portion of it to start. We're going to read the first 32 verses. And I want to do this Because there's something the psalmist, and I believe God, wants to accomplish this morning through his word by repetition. This psalm, we're going to find as we read it, is intentionally repetitive, as a lot of songs are. You know those songs you sing, they just get stuck in your head all day, or someone sings it near you, and you're thinking, why did you just get that song in my head? They're intentionally repetitive because it helps us to remember something that's true. And there's a point in emphasis. There is a pattern that we're going to see in Psalm 107. And not only are we going to find that it's true in this psalm, but we're going to find it's true in our lives. And when we capture the pattern this psalm lays out, this repetition, I believe, is going to drive it into our hearts how we should constantly be giving Thanks to God for his work in our life. Over and over, the psalmist is going to hit that. So look with me at Psalm 107, beginning in verse 1. This is what God's word says to us this morning. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. For his steadfast love endures forever. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so whom he has redeemed from trouble and gathered in from the lands, from the east and from the west, from the north and from the south. Some wandered in desert wastes, finding no way to a city to dwell in. Hungry and thirsty, their soul fainted within them. And then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. He led them by a straight way till they reached a city to dwell in. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of man. For he satisfies the longing soul and the hungry soul he fills with good things. Some sat in darkness and in the shadow of death, prisoners in affliction and in irons. For they had rebelled against the words of God and spurned the counsel of the Most High. 
So he bowed their hearts down with hard labor. They fell down with none to help. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. He brought them out of darkness in the shadow of death and burst their bonds apart. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of man. For he shatters the doors of bronze and cuts in two the bars of iron. Verse 17. Some were fools through their sinful ways and because of their iniquities suffered affliction. They loathed any kind of food and they drew near to the gates of death. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble and he delivered them from their distress. He sent out his word and healed them, delivered them from their destruction. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of man, and let them offer sacrifices of thanksgiving and tell of his deeds in songs of joy. Some went down to the sea in ships, Doing business on the great waters, they saw the deeds of the Lord, his wondrous works in the deep. For he commanded and raised the stormy wind, which lifted up the waves of the sea. They mounted up to heaven, they went down to the depths, their courage melted away in their evil plight. They reeled and staggered like drunken men and were at their wits' end. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble. And he delivered them from their distress. He made the storm be still, and the waves of the sea were hushed. Then they were glad that the waters were quiet, and he brought them to their desired haven. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of man. Let them extol him in the congregation of the people and praise him in the assembly of the elders. Look down at verse 43. Whoever is wise, let him attend to these things. Let them consider the steadfast love of the Lord. Do you see the pattern here? Every scenario, every situation, it's the same thing. And I, I love patterns. I know school started back this week and everyone is getting back into the flow of waking up earlier and doing homework and you're trying to shake the cobwebs of summer out of your head. And with school, there are always subjects and things that you enjoy and things you do not enjoy as much. Uh, and I always remind, I tell my kids this, uh, do you know what I loved uh, growing up in school? I loved math worksheets. I love them. I know it's sick. You probably just lost respect with like 90% of you, but I loved math worksheets. You know those worksheets uh, that the teacher would put like as many problems as could fit front and back. They would get rid of margins just to fill the page with worksheets. I would get so happy when we did math worksheets. I loved it. Uh, I loved it because it was repetitive, because their goal was they just wanted to, to pound this into your head, these math problems. They wanted you to memorize them and know them. Uh, do you know what I hated in school? I'm, I'm sorry to say this, Shannon. I hated writing papers. I hated papers. Hated papers. Hated them. 
I always was the guy, last minute, last thing, I just type them out, hit print, turn them in. I don't want to look at it again. You know, give me a math worksheet all day long. I love patterns. And I like Psalm 107 because there's a pattern and the psalmist, he just repeats it over and over and over and over because he wants to drive this truth into our hearts. He wants us to memorize it. He wants us to know something about the God we worship. This is how God deals with his people over and over, time and time again. We are gonna find this pattern is true in our lives. And here's what we see. Here's the pattern of this psalm. The people are in trouble. They cry out to God. He delivers them and they give thanks to him. Let them consider the steadfast love of the Lord over and over and over. We see this pattern of, of desperation, deliverance, and gratitude. Trouble, crying out, deliverance, and they give thanks to God. And this is the goal of this psalm. Look at verse one. This is the goal. The goal is that we would give thanks to God for his goodness for his steadfast love towards us. And we see that he wants us to say something about it. Verse two, let the redeemed of the Lord say so. So this is a corporate song that God's people would sing and they would gather together and they would begin rehearsing reasons to give thanks to God and they would begin recounting these stories over and over again and God wants them to, to broadcast it and to testify about it and proclaim it and to sing about his redeeming goodness in our lives. So I think this is the main point of Psalm 107, to broadcast God's redeeming goodness in your life broadcast it. He wants us to broadcast our thanks to him in songs of joy and, and extolling him and praising him. And he wants us to tell others how good he is. We'll see this by the end. It's in the congregation, in the assembly. Sing, testify, proclaim, talk about, tell about how good God has been in your life. Broadcast it. And in our text, we see four rescue stories. These are not just historical stories, but, but word pictures. You are meant to find yourself in each one of these stories and to be reminded of God's redeeming goodness in your life and to thank him. And so we're gonna see the same pattern in each story. There's desperation, deliverance, and gratitude. So story number one, we have four stories, four points. Story number one, Wanderers retrieved. We see this in verses four through nine. Look with me at verse four. Here's the trouble. Every story has the same pattern. Here's the trouble. Some wandered in desert wastes, finding no way to a city to dwell in. Hungry and thirsty, their soul fainted within them. Now upon first reading, every Israelite's mind would have been drawn to the exodus right? Where God's people wandered in the desert, hungry and thirsty. God delivered them out of Egypt and they find themselves wandering in the desert for 40 years. They were, they were nomads. They had no city to dwell in, no place to call home. 
As you think about the desert and what they endured, there was, their surroundings were barren. Uh, there's no water, there's no vegetation, there's no growth, there's no trees, there's no shade or shelter. They're constantly hungry and thirsty to the point where psalmist says their souls were ready to faint. They, they were growing tired and weak. They were ready to throw in the towel and quit. Uh, a couple years ago, I read a book called Skeletons on Zahara. Uh, it's a true story about a shipwreck in 1815 on the west coast of Africa. It was 12 American sailors who were captured and they became slaves of these nomadic tribes in the Sahara Desert. And the guy who recommended the book to me, this is at a campground, we're camping, talking about survival books. And he says, have you read this book? I said, no, I've never heard of that. He goes, buy the book and read it. And when you read it, keep a glass of water on your bedside table. It's okay, yeah, that, I don't know what you're talking about, but I gotta keep water on my bedside table. He started, as I started reading the book, it describes these 12 sailors and their starvation, their dehydration, uh, the effect of the sun on their skin as they had no shelter or shade. The captain said afterwards that their skins seemed actually to fry like meat before the fire. It's a very descriptive book. As it described their thirst, they wouldn't have anything to drink for days. It started talking about how their throats would lock up, their lips would peel, they would grow faint and tired and begin hallucinating and forgetting who they were. And finally, the people who held them hostage would finally allow them to drink when they would water the camels. And so there was just this filthy water they would find in the desert and they would begin drinking all this water and they were so thirsty, they would drink so much water so fast that they would make themselves sick and they would lose all the water again. And they, they could never quench their thirst. They were just constantly thirsty. And I remember uh, reading the book and just reading the description of dehydration and having a glass of water on my bedside and just thinking, I'm so thankful for a glass of water. This is really good, by the way. Even talking about it now makes me thankful. The psalmist describes this desert scene because he wants us to feel this thirst inside of us. This is not just physical. This is about our souls. This is a description of our souls apart from God. We're going to see that in a minute in verse 9. He's applying it to us. He's applying it to God's people. We are those who wandered in the desert hungry and thirsty, thirsting for God. And so when they were there and there was nothing around, nowhere to go, there's no growth, there's no water, there's no way to, to satisfy their thirst, what do they do in verse 6? Here's the pattern. They cried out to the Lord they did their part. They cried and God delivered them. They cried and God answered. And here's the pattern. So what should they do since God delivered them? Verse eight, let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love. And verse nine is how we know he's applying it to us. This is not just a story about people in the desert. It's a story of our souls. Look at verse nine. For he satisfies the longing soul and the hungry soul. He fills with good things. When we have strayed, 
and gone off course, when we've been in a desert where we could find no nourishment for our souls and we find ourselves thirsty and hungry for God, what does God do? He satisfies our longing soul and our hungry soul. He fills with good things and you will find this pattern true in your own life. You will find this pattern when you are thirsting for God and searching for meaning and you just want something more than this life has to offer and you will cry out to God because you have nowhere else to turn and he will deliver you and he will fill you with good things and he does all of that so that you will thank him, so that you will give thanks and praise him and tell someone how good he is in your life. This is what Jesus said in Matthew 5, 6, he said, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Listen, do you hunger and thirst for more of God to know him more? You are blessed. God creates the spiritual thirst in us. He creates the thirst so that we'll cry out to him. He fills us with good things and then we Thank him and he gets all the glory. This is the pattern. So where do we find this soul satisfying food and water? This is what Jesus said about himself. Jesus said, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. He says he will satisfy us. He will nourish us. He will fulfill that thirst that God created in us to know more. So listen, if you have a thirst this morning that nothing on this earth can satisfy, if nothing is quenching your thirst, if you just think there's got to be something more, that thirst is created so you would cry out to God and he would satisfy it through his son. Listen to this quote by Jonathan Edwards. He says, the enjoyment of God is the only happiness with which our souls can be satisfied. Your soul can be satisfied, but only with the enjoyment of God. To go to heaven fully to enjoy God is infinitely better than the most pleasant accommodations here. Fathers and mothers, husbands, wives, or children, or the company of earthly friends are but shadows but God is the substance. These are but scattered beams, but God is the sun. These are but streams, but God is the ocean. For the wanderer who is thirsting for more, cry out to God and he will satisfy you and you will give him thanks and he will be glorified. This is the pattern. Story number two, that's the first story. Number two, same pattern, prisoners released. Prisoners released. We see this in verses 10 through 16. He's telling these stories. The the people are singing these stories to one another. Look at the description of these people and their trouble in verse 10. Look down at verse 10. They're in darkness. They're in a dark dungeon in the shadow of death. Their arms and legs are clasped with iron shackles. In verse 12, they have this grinding toil and they can find no end to their work. And so we find another dimension of distress here, distinct 
from our first scene. This is one of those in prison, those bound in darkness in a dungeon. And part of the problem or the trouble is that they brought this imprisonment upon themselves. Right? In, the, in the first scene, some are lost and wandering. In this scene, they are imprisoned, but they've done this to themselves. Look down at verse 11. This is why they are imprisoned. For they had rebelled against the words of God and spurned the counsel of the Most High. As soon as God created a people for himself, one of the first things God did is he, he spoke to them. He brought them, you remember when he brought them to Mount Sinai and he had Moses come up the mountain and he revealed his power to them and then he spoke to them. There was this voice out of the mountain and he spoke to Moses and he revealed and gave them his law. He spoke to them. He is a God who, who wants us to know him and wants us to know what he requires of us. And not only did they ignore God's words, but they rebelled against him. They thought they knew better than the creator of the universe. And even as God is on the mountain with Moses and he is giving them the first command, right? You shall have no other gods before me. Where are they? They're on the bottom of the mountain and they're making a false god. They're collecting all of their jewelry and gold and they're forming it into this golden calf. As soon as God speaks, God's people begin to rebel against his words. And so he's saying they have, in a sense, built their own prison. They've locked themselves in a dungeon by going against God's word. And we have done the same thing. This is a description of us. Sin imprisons us. It reminds us as we read this of the shackles of our sin, the misery and the hopelessness, the darkness, the lack of joy, the uh, the lack of life in our souls. Do you remember what it's like to be imprisoned by your sin? Think back. Maybe for some of you it was just a year ago. Maybe it's been 10 years or 20 years or even 40 years, but do you remember what it is like to be imprisoned by your sin? Think back about it. As I was studying this psalm this week, I thought back to 21 years ago now when I was imprisoned by my sin. And I was just thinking about the darkness in my soul of not knowing Christ. And I just began to think how deceitful, what a deceitful master sin was. Sin promised me all this joy and delivered nothing but shame in my life. And I remember the feeling of sitting in my dorm room and just being miserable and being so unhappy with life, and just the darkness that came over me. I remember the middle of the night, sitting in the middle of the night, coming back to my dorm room, and thinking, this is supposed to be the best time. College is supposed to be the best, and I'm miserable, and I'm lonely, and I hate myself. I hate who I am, and just the darkness in my soul. And I hit a point where I realized, as, as someone was sharing the gospel with me from this church, I hit this point where I realized there is nothing I can do to free myself from this prison I've made. I did this to myself. I'm the one to blame. This isn't somebody else doing this to me. This is me imprisoning myself. Sin, my sin has made me a prisoner. And the guy sharing the gospel with me kept saying, what are you gonna do? What are you gonna do? And I kept giving him answers. Well, I, I tried to go to church. Well, that's not gonna help you. Okay, well, I, I don't know. I just got a point. I don't know what I can do. I'm a prisoner. 
And I remember when he shared with me the gospel about the cross of Christ and the light came on. And I realized there's nothing I can do to get out of this prison. There's only one place I can go. I can cry out to God, Lord, save me. And you know what he did? He answered me. This is what they did. Look at verse 13. They're in prison. They're in shackles. They're bound. Then they cried to the Lord and he delivered them. Verse 14, he breaks the bonds apart. He brought them out of the darkness into the light. He shattered the doors of bronze that locked them up. He cut the bars of iron in two. He broke them out of that prison cell. Why? You know it's coming. Verse 15, let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love. I want to broadcast God's redeeming goodness in my life. I want to say in front of everyone, Lord, thank you for saving me. I cried out to you and you answered me and you delivered me because that's the God you are. Over and over again, this is what God does for us. Listen, there's a reason when we sing the song, and can it be, in the last verse, all these hands go up around the room. I'm sure guests are thinking, they think sometimes, you know, is there some kind of cue going on where everyone's told to put their hands up right now? We sing, long my imprisoned spirit lay, fast bound in sin and nature's night. Thine eye diffused a quickening ray. I woke, the dungeons flamed with light. My chains fell off. My heart was free. I rose, went forth, and followed thee. There's sometimes we sing and people are worshiping because there's just some truths that resonate in our hearts. And when we think about the slavery of sin, the bondage and the darkness that the wages of sin is death, and then we're reminded that God, by His grace and through the blood of His Son, has set us free. It makes us thank God. And we say, thank you, Lord. We worship you and praise you for saving us. I don't want to ever become so familiar with the miracle of regeneration that I'm not thankful to God that He has rescued me. When's the last time you thanked God for saving you. When's the last time? Listen, every day, every day there are thousands of reasons to thank God. Thousands of reasons to worship God. Some days it's really hard to find them. It's like chasing after the wind. Just some days it's hard to find those reasons. Every day we have this reason. Every single day we can go back to thank you, Lord, for saving me. And if you struggle to find that, I want to encourage you this week, go back through verses 10 through 16. Pray through them. Remember what the darkness was like when you were imprisoned by your sin and thank the Lord for his steadfast love. You were imprisoned. You cried out to God and he delivered you. Let us thank him. He releases the prisoner. Number three, the sick restored in verses 17 through 22. He restores the sick. And this is not the sickness of the innocent. This is not like Job who was found guiltless. They are sick because of their foolishness. Look at verse 17. Okay, this is their trouble. Here's the pattern. Here's the trouble. They were fools through their sinful ways and because of their iniquities suffered affliction. Their sickness 
is self-inflicted. Okay, it's caused by a lack of self-control, drunkenness, indulging the flesh. They've done this to themselves. They are sick because of their own folly. And sometimes when we think about God, we think that God would respond like we do, like us for parents. If you have a kid, I don't know if all parents are like this, but this is the way I am. If I have a kid who eats too much candy and they get a stomach ache, uh, I think, good, let them learn a lesson. You know, uh, hey, buddy, uh, is your stomach hurting a little bit? Yeah, did you eat a little bit too much candy tonight? Yeah, good, don't do it next time. That's kind of how I respond. Of course, next time they're going to do it all over again. They're fools, you know? But that's, and, and we, think, we think that's how God responds to us, right? Uh, it's my fault. It's my problem. It's my sin. I've done this to myself. I'm experiencing the consequences for my sin and, and we think God is like us. I'm the one to blame. You know, so we think God's going to say, hey, buddy, you got yourself into this problem. You figure it out. Or God's going to come to us and say, hey, you're the moron who made this mess. You know, clean it up. That's not how God responds. Some of these scenarios are, are situations out of our control. Some are our own fault. But the same thing happens in both. What happens? They cry out to the God, verse 19, and he delivers them even when it's their fault, even when they are to blame. They cry out to God in their foolishness because of what they've created. God delivers them from this distress. Verse 20, he sends out his word and heals them. He delivers them. Why? You know it's coming. It's the same pattern. Verse 21, let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love. Why would he be so kind and merciful to rescue us when we are the problem? So we will thank him. They're rehearsing reasons over and over. Thank the Lord. Thank the Lord. Thank the Lord. And here's the problem. So often we don't. So often we don't. It's like we have short-term memory loss and we forget what a mess we had made and what he did to heal us. You know that feeling uh, you get when you're really sick, uh, when you have, uh, you're nauseous or you have some pain that won't go away or maybe the, the horrible feeling of getting something in your eye. You always hate to do that in public when you have something in your eye and you're crying and it's okay, I just got something in my eye, you know, and just, and that pain, that sharp pain where you'll do anything just to get rid of the pain. I remember um, this winter, I got the stomach bug. It's like once a decade for me, it seems, and this was the decade, I guess. So I got the stomach bug and I was up all night and I was just nauseous, uh, my head was swimming, I was dizzy, I was sick. At one point, I was just laying on the bathroom floor in the night, just, you know, the floor felt cold and good on my head, I was just laying there. And I had this thought, oh, it just made me aware, I'm so thankful I don't feel like this every day. And that's moments you start, God, if, you, if you'll just heal me, help me, I'll do anything, you know, this is so miserable. And I remember laying on the bathroom floor in the middle of the night and thinking, I am never going to take my health for granted ever again because this feels so bad. Do you know how long that lasted? Like two days. The day after I was sick, I was like, man, I am so thankful. I feel better. I'm not nauseous anymore. The next day I moved on in life, didn't think about it again until this week. That's what we do. You probably remember the story of Jesus and the 10 lepers. Uh, you can look it up later. It's in Luke 17. But basically, 
Ten lepers cry out to Jesus to have mercy on them. They're sick with incurable diseases. And Jesus has mercy and he heals them. Ten of them. And one of them comes back and it says that he praised God and fell at the feet of Jesus. And here's what Jesus says. We're not ten cleansed. Where are the nine? So often, I'm one of the nine. He heals me. He restores me. He, he answers our prayers. Psalm 107 is calling us and the people of God to turn back. Praise God. Fall at the feet of Jesus and thank Him. Don't be one of the nine. Be like the one who turned around and thanked Him for what He's done in His life. Broadcast God's redeeming goodness in your life. He restores the wanderer. He releases the prisoner. He restores the sick. And finally, number four, he, the storm-tossed are rescued. Verses 23 through 32. Over and over, they're just... Story goes on. I told you it's repetitive. Every point's repetitive. It's the same. It's how music works. It's the same chorus over and over and over. Except there's a little differences in their trouble. The second and third story address our affliction caused by our sin and foolishness and disobedience. This last scene addresses, I, I don't know the best word for it, our littleness. How small we are. How powerless we are sometimes to help ourselves. So here's the trouble in the last story. These sailors go out to sea, verse 25. He commanded and raised the stormy wind which lifted up the waves of the sea. They mounted up to the heaven. They went down to the depths. Their courage melted away in their evil plight. They reeled and staggered like drunken men and were at their wits end. They're caught in a storm and they are completely helpless to do anything about it. Israel didn't have a coast guard. You know, they couldn't send out an SOS signal. They didn't do anything wrong. This isn't their fault. They're just caught and subject to forces greater than themselves. And what are they gonna do about it? I don't know if you've ever been deep sea fishing. This last year, my... Uh, parents took me and my siblings and our kids on a vacation. And one of the things my dad wanted to do with us is he wanted to take us deep sea fishing. So we made the arrangements. We, we made plans. We show up at the marina to go deep sea fishing. And when we show up, uh, a lot of people are leaving. And we're kind of like waiting. We're getting food. We're doing a few things. We're talking to people. And everyone's charter fishing that day had been canceled. It was a sunny day, but it was really windy out, and so all these boats are being canceled, and our, we, our captain shows up, and we assume it's going to be canceled, and he says, well, let's see if anyone goes out today. Like, okay, you know, and then one boat goes out, and so he says, okay, if they're going out, we're going out. Okay, this, you know, we were like, yeah, this is our captain. We're kind of mocking other people, like, your captain's a wimp, you know, and the captain basically tells us, listen, we have to go through this channel. There's going to be some pretty big breakers, but if we get past them, we'll be okay. I don't like the word if, first of all, when you're like going to sea, like, but we're like, okay, so we get out there and we're heading out towards the ocean. We have to go through this channel and there's like five or six foot waves we're having to go through and we kind of push through those. Some boats are turning around, not our captain, baby. He's going straight through 
And so we go, we get through there, we're all cheering for our captain, you know, no one's out there, just empty. So we go about an hour out from the land. You couldn't see the land anymore. And we were having a great time until he stopped the boat. And we realized those five and six foot breakers when you're out at sea are like 10 to 12 foot swells. And we are in them. And so I read verse 26, and this was our experience. They mounted up to the heaven, they went down to the depths. Just up and down, up and down. We started catching fish, and you had to stand like this so you wouldn't fall over. And so I'm standing like this, and I'm just fishing, and I'm catching these red snapper. And I look over at my brother, and I thought it was expression to turn green. He was literally green. Uh, It was bad. And my brother looked at me, and I said, are you okay, man? And he goes, do something. (laughs) Seriously, I was like, be still. (laughs) I I just looked at him. I just was like, buddy, it's over, man. I I got nothing. Like, we we, I can't see the land. And I'm catching fish right now. So, uh, but there, there was nothing I could do to help him. It's just that feeling of I'm stuck, I'm in trouble, and I am powerless to do anything about this. I cannot calm this sea. I wish I could. I cannot calm the sea. The old Puritans, they had this saying. They said, let those that would learn to pray go to sea. Uh, that's a true thing. And there are things in your life that are completely outside of your power to do anything about them, right? We, didn't, we haven't done anything wrong. This isn't because of our sin. This isn't affliction because of our foolishness. We haven't done anything wrong. We're just in a storm and there's nothing we can do about it. There's circumstances outside of our control. Maybe there's friends or family or children or parents who you so long to see their heart change, to know God. And there's nothing you can do. You can't make that happen. And so what do they do in the storm? Same pattern, you know this is coming. Verse 28, then they cried to the Lord in their trouble. They're in trouble. All they can do is cry. What does he do? He delivers them from their distress. They cry, God answers. It's so good when things are outside of our power to no one who is more powerful than those things. And he delivers them. Jesus' disciples experienced this psalm firsthand. Remember when they went out in the boat with Jesus and a great storm arose and the, the waves began swamping their boat and they were going to sink. They were coming over the edge of the boat. And Jesus is, of course, in the front of the boat taking his afternoon siesta. He's completely asleep. He's not worried about it. And they wake up and they cry, save us, Lord, we're perishing. It says that Jesus rose and he rebuked the winds and the waves and there was a great calm. When things are out of our control, it's good to know someone who's more powerful than those things. And when Jesus calmed the storm, you just imagine that moment. This was their question. What sort of man is this that even the winds and the sea obey him? That's a great question. He's the God man. He's verse 29. He made the storm be still and the ways of the sea were hushed. Only God can make that happen. And Jesus is God. This is our Savior. This is our Redeemer. This is, in, this is the one who Colossians 1 says, 
has authority over all things, visible and invisible. Everything, everything you see, everything you can't see, he has authority over it and we cry out to him and he answers us and he delivers us. Why would he do that? So we would thank him. With each story, there is trouble. They cry out to God, he delivers them and they thank him. So what do we do with this? Look at verse 43. This is where we're gonna stop this morning. It says, whoever is wise, let him attend these things. Let them consider the steadfast love of the Lord. Consider, attend to, think about, meditate on God's steadfast love in your life. Now the good news is, we've just done that for about 40 minutes. We've meditated together on God's steadfast love in our lives. But since school is back in session, here's your homework. Think about this pattern in your life. Think about this pattern. You will see it over and over and over and over. It's not just true for them, it's true for us. We are in trouble. We cry out, he delivers us and we thank him. You will find this pattern true in your life. So meditate on God's work in your life over and over. The congregation is singing this. They're singing these stories. They're saying the chorus over and over. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works among the children of man. Here's another story. Let them thank the Lord. Here's another story. Let them thank the Lord. This is your story. This is your song. Over and over in your life, you have been in trouble, you have been in prison, you have wandered in the desert, you have been sick, you have been in a storm that is out of your control, you have cried out to God, he has delivered you, and now Psalm 107 says, thank him. Thank him, praise him, give him glory, honor him, testify about it, proclaim it to others, let's broadcast God's goodness in our lives. Let's do it together. Let's do it in small groups. Let's do it at work. Let's broadcast God's goodness in our lives. Sometimes when we think about evangelism, uh, it's intimidating to think about going to someone and sharing the gospel. Listen, one of the great first steps, begin to broadcast God's goodness in your life. Don't be afraid to say, God is good. I was in trouble. I cried out. He answered me and I thank him. That's the pattern we're going to find in our lives. Meditate on it. Meditate on it. Great way to do that this week. Go back through Psalm 107. Pray through each one of these rescue stories and think about your life. Place yourself in them. I was wandering. I remember thirsting for God. Place yourself in them. Consider the steadfast love of God and you will find each day you are giving thanks and you will broadcast God's redeeming goodness in your life. Let's pray. Father, we do this morning as we return to singing and ministry time, we want to broadcast your goodness in our lives. There are probably, every person in this room, I'm sure there are dozens of things we could complain about in our life. There are troubles, there are pains, there are hardships. There are burdens we have. There are things we long to see happen that are out of our control. And yet in the midst of this life, there are thousands of reasons to praise you, God. There are thousands of reasons to give thanks. Looking back 
at your redeeming goodness. It fixes our gaze. It fixes our hope. It fixes our faith. It fixes our certainty for the future. And so I pray for everyone here today that they would be able to leave here this morning giving thanks to you, God, for your goodness and your grace and your mercy and your kindness, the kindness that you have displayed for them that is undeserved. We are the ones to blame. We got into this mess. We cried out and you answered us. Thank you, God. You are so good. You are so kind. You are so merciful. And we give you praise and glory. And we give you thanks. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You've been listening to a message recorded during a Sunday celebration service at Cornerstone Church of Knoxville. To find out more about Cornerstone Church of Knoxville, visit us on the web at www.cornerstonechurchofknoxville.com or call our church office at 865-694-4356. We'd love to have you join us in celebrating God's grace and pursuing God's purpose.